0: But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, over the next couple of weeks talking about the church. It makes sense given that uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks we've been going through the Passion Week... ...and we had a Good Friday service, we had an Easter service where we celebrated uh, the resurrection uh, of Jesus... ...to talk about who it is that Jesus actually came to give his life for, which is the church... So we're going to spend two weeks talking about the church. This week, we're going to take a look at what is the church. And then next week, we're going to talk about why do we need it and why do we plant them? Of course, the church planter is going to talk about some church planting in the next couple of weeks, right? Um, So, but the text that's going to root us over the course of the next couple of weeks comes from Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there with me, it'll be up on the screen behind me as well. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. And what's been happening up to this point is Jesus has been going around and he's been teaching and preaching and people have been engaging him. He's getting pushback, but he's also getting people who feel really compelled by the, the, the teachings and the message that he's bringing. And he comes to a district in Caesarea Philippi. And uh, as they come in, uh, this is what he asked his disciples. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi... And I tell you, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, uh, we come to you this morning, and we need our eyes open. We need our hearts uh, opened. Uh, we need to hear your word. We need to hear what your word has to say about who we are and who you are and what you have done for us in Jesus. So Holy Spirit, this morning we pray that you would make our Savior, Jesus, big in our hearts and in our minds. Beautiful uh, in our hearts and in our minds. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Over the course of centuries since Jesus' resurrection, some 2,000 years ago, there's been a a lot of things written about the church. A lot of things said about the church. There's been a lot of experiences uh, inside of the church. Some good, some bad. And I want to begin this morning by giving us a few quotes here of what some have said about the church uh, over the centuries. This one's from Henry Ward Beecher. The church is not a gallery for the exhibition of eminent Christians, but a school for the education of imperfect ones. Mahatma Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Uh, Ed, who was a former professor of mine uh, in grad school, I was having a discussion with him and talking to him about the church and about religion in general, and this is what he had to say to me some number of years ago. So much damage, damage has been done in the name of organized religion. I'm not sure that I have anything good to say about the church. Cyprian, who was a church father in the third century, had this to say about his own personal experience, and then more broadly. He said, it is a bad world, Donatus, he's writing to, a man named Donatus, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and good people who have learned the great secret of life. They have found a joy and wisdom which is a thousand times better than any of the pleasures of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people, Donatists, are Christians, and I am one of them. And then Cyprian would go on to say this. This is the this is way he's most famous for. No one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Many things have been said about the church over the course of history. A lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts, a lot of different experiences that are varied. As I said, some bad, some very life-giving like what we see from Cyprian here. And we live in a day and age where the the cultural climate that we live in around institutions and especially the church is incredibly suspicious and very skeptical and not necessarily for bad reason. Uh, Over the course of 2021, uh, one of Apple Podcasts' top three podcasts for the year, this isn't just in religion... This is overall top three podcast was a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which was a mega church in Seattle, a, a podcast that was dedicated to uncovering the abuse that was happening inside of that church. That's a top three overall. Everybody is listening to that. Our cultural climate is one of suspicion and skepticism towards institutions and maybe even especially the church. So what do we make of the church? Why do we need it? Do we need it? Well, we actually have to reckon with what Jesus has to say about the church. We actually have to reckon with what Jesus says in Matthew 16. And Jesus is actually telling us in Matthew 16 that the church is actually the only institution that will not fail. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So... This morning, we're going to talk about what is it? (laughs) What is the church? What does the Bible have to say about the church? And then we'll spend a little bit of time thinking about, well, so what? Why is that important? And why does that matter? So what is it? Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But what is it? There's several images that the Bible uses. And I've kind of picked four of them, but there's maybe even more. Uh, what is the church? The first thing that we see that the Bible says that the church is, is that the church is a building. The church is a building. And if you go back to Isaiah chapter 28 and 1 Peter 2, Peter kind of picks up on Isaiah uh, 28, has to say this. Isaiah 28 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation, "...whoever believes will not be in haste." And Peter, picking up on Isaiah, says... "...as you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men... ...but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... ...you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house... ...to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices... ...acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone... ...a cornerstone chosen and precious... And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The first thing that we see that the Bible says about the church is that the church is a building. The church is a house. And the cornerstone of this building is Jesus himself. And what he has done in his life, in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection. You see, without the cornerstone, everything else will fall. Everything else will fail, but that is not so with the church, the Bible says. The Bible says that the church is actually built on this cornerstone that is Jesus himself. It's kind of like the, you know, the the old story of the three little pigs. You guys remember that one? You know, they they, they, they build the house out of straw. They build the house out of sticks and the wolf comes and blows it down. But then they build the house out of what? Brick. Brick and stone and the wolf can't blow it down, right? So it's kind of like that. It's a little bit like that. And Peter says that what we are, as the church, is we are living stones. We are the ones who make up the structure, who make up the building. And here's what that means. It means that the church is the visible gathering of God's people for all to see. For everyone to see. We are a building. Think about it. We're literally in a building right now, right? Right? We're literally in a building right now worshiping the one who has come to give himself for us to lay down his life for our sin and to purchase life for us and forgiveness. We are literally in a building and as people drive down South Pierce Street, they see Deer Creek Church right there, right? The church is a building publicly visible, a place to be welcomed into, a place where... ...people can come and receive rest and refreshment... ...and hear the good news of the cornerstone... ...upon which the living building is built upon. The church is a building, the Bible says. That's the first image. The second image is this. Is that The church is a body. And the apostle Paul gets at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12... ...as he's writing to the church at Corinth. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members... ...and all the members of the body... Though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized in one body... ...Jews or Greeks, slaves or free... ...and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... ...I do not belong to the body... ...that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye... ...I don't belong to the body... ...that would not make it any less a part of the body... If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul says the church is a body with Christ as our head. But Christ is the one who makes all of us tick and move and flow and go. Everything is dependent on the head. And we all serve as different body parts. Some of us are eyes. Some of us are feet. Some of us are hands. Some of us are noses, Paul says. And what he's saying is that every single one of us matters for the functioning of the body. And that's what the body does. The body is the church functionally ...living out what it is that she believes about Jesus and what he has done. It's functionally living out Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Reflecting lives that, that have embraced and taken in the depth of that reality of what it means. It's the daily effect of the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners... Sinners. And that word sin is not very familiar in our world today. But the way the Bible talks about sin is basically a life that is focused on self. A life living without any notion of responsibility or accountability to something or someone bigger and better and outside of ourselves. But as we heard earlier, God in his mercy... With the great love with which he loved us sent Jesus to take our place. We live daily out of that mercy. That's what the church does as the body. We live daily out of that. Not thinking better of ourselves than anyone else. But rather as those who have received mercy from God in Jesus and what he has done. Understanding that we are sinful. The world is broken and we contribute to that brokenness in our hearts are stone, but they need to be made flesh. Living out what God tells us, what Jesus tells us, that we should be a people loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So the church is a building, the church is a body. Another image that the Bible uses is to say that the church is a family. ...the church is a family. This is actually riddled all over Paul's letters to the churches... ...because he uses language like brothers. He uses language like fathers and mothers and sisters. You see, assumed inside of this church is that we are actually a family. If you go to Philippians chapter 4... ...Paul tells us a little bit about what this family looks like. He says, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for... ...my joy and crown... Do you hear what Paul is saying about the church there at Philippi? Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sinitiki to agree in the Lord. Actual real names of actual real people there. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We are a family We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And apparently at the church in Philippi, there's two sisters who aren't getting along so well. (laughs) Siblings remind you of growing up in your own house or being in your own house. Like you live under the same roof. Like you you rub each other the wrong way. But there's also these deep, deep relationships that exist. A deep knowledge of of one another that, that other people don't know about you Jesus says that we are a family. Paul tells us that we are a family. And that even includes disagreement. We should should not assume that everything is going to be perfect all the time. Paul is telling us, like, we should assume that we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And what that's supposed to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. And what he has done, because we never get beyond needing the gospel. We never, ever get past it. Paul says that we are a family, not perfect, but being perfected by Jesus and what he has done, by being united to Jesus, striving to constantly see our mutual need for the gospel. So the Bible says that the church is a building, a body, a family, and the last image that we'll talk about this morning is the Bible says that the church is a bride. A bride. If you go to Revelation chapter 19 and and 22, we see this really laid out for us. Revelation 19 says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunders crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her, given to her, gifted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bride and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deed of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brother's. Who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. (laughs) Worship Jesus for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We are the bride of Christ. We're the bride. We are the beloved. The most intimate of relationships with Jesus, our groom. You see what this communicates is that the church is supposed to be beautiful to all who gaze upon her. To all who see her, there is a a beauty that exists in the church because the way that we interact with and love one another and the way that we continually come to Jesus, our groom, over and over and over again, it conjures up this idea in our heads of, oh man, I wish I were her. When Carrie and I got married almost 15 years ago, I remember when they opened up the, the, the back doors of the sanctuary where we got married and, and, and Carrie was, was coming down the aisle. And if you've ever been to a wedding, like you, you, you know what this looks like too. What does everybody's eyes do? They all turn to the bride, right? Like That's what happens. And as the bride comes down... The aisle, the groom is standing there. And I can remember standing there and almost being just so overwhelmed. So overwhelmed that my bride was coming to me. What a gift that God had given me. Do you realize that that's how Jesus sees you? That's how Jesus looks at you. That's how the groom looks at you. He looks down the aisle and he sees his bride coming and he's saying, look at her. Look at how beautiful she is gaze upon her. That is what Jesus is doing for us and in us so that the world would know who he is and would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants, to, wants the world to see how beautiful his bride is. Isn't that staggering? We should all be so taken aback by that, that we are, that we can be the bride of Christ. That Jesus bids us to come and to put ourselves into his arms. And he is the one who makes us beautiful by laying down his life for us. By giving himself to us. Not just giving of himself. No, 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 no. Giving his whole self to us. His bride. So as we look throughout the New Testament and the scriptures... And we ask this question, what is the church? The Bible says the church is a body, it's a building, it's a family, it's a bride. And all of this by virtue of being united to Jesus and what he has done in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. So what? So what? Why does that matter? What does that mean for us here this morning? Well, I want to start by giving a little bit of a caveat here. Because I want to acknowledge this, that the church has not always been what she's supposed to be. And the church is not always what she is supposed to be. There are very real experiences like Gandhi's experience of, I like your Christ, but I don't know about your Christianity. There are very real experiences like my professor, Ed, who says, I'm not sure that I can say anything good about the church. Those are real experiences. Spiritual uh, abuse and harm is a very, very real thing. I myself have have personally been on the receiving end of that. And it's incredibly painful. It's incredibly hurtful. There have been people in positions of power and they've used that against me. So I don't want to whitewash that. That's a very real thing. But I also want to offer us at some level some hope too. Some hope that the church can be what she should be. I want to offer us some hope that, that the church is ultimately going to be what she should be. I mean, a few years ago, Amazon was rated by its employees one of the worst companies to work for in the United States. And three years later, it's one of the best companies to work for in the United States. So, so if Amazon can get things right and get things a little bit better, then the church should be able to as well too, right? So, but I don't... I, But that actually does bring us to this so what piece of things. And if you're here this morning and your experience has been like a Gandhi or like an Ed, take this in, listen to it, okay? Here's what we have to remember. The church must always go backwards to move forward. The church must always go backwards to move forward. Back all the way to the beginning. All the way to the beginning when God spoke everything into existence. And created the world and created you and me in his image. To lean into his world to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill what it is that he had made. Made for relationship with him and relationship with one another. To bring flourishing into God's good creation. God's people in his world. You see, God has always been building his church. There has never not been a time in which God has not been building his church. He's always been building his church. But rebellion is real, isn't it? Sin is real. Sin attempting to live life revolved around self without God. The world is not the way that it's supposed to be. You and I are not the way that we are supposed to be. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued from ourselves. We need to be redeemed, is what the Bible calls it. We need redemption, and oh, redemption is what our God has. Redemption is what God gives us in Jesus In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. You see, passion week is what defines the church. Passion week is what defines you and me. Jesus is the only message that the church has. Jesus is the only thing that we have. His promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his bride, his church, his body, his building, his Family, you see, we must always go backward in order to move forward. We cannot ever forget Jesus and what he has done to rescue us, to redeem us, to save us, and to forgive us of our sins in his perfect life, in his righteousness. And exchanging that for our sin and becoming our sin. And in return, what we get is we get to be the family. We get to be the bride. We get to be the body. We get to be the building. We can never forget that. We always have to go backward in order to move forward. And when we do forget it, when we do forget that, what happens is we become the focus instead of Jesus. What happens is we try to control Outcomes more than repent and believe. That we believe controlling outcomes in our lives and our parenting and our relationships and our work is greater than the process of repenting and believing the gospel over and over again. When we forget what happens is that production is greater than character. When we forget what happens is that numbers are greater than relationships when we forget what happens is that being busy for Jesus is greater than receiving that we have been done for in what Jesus has done for us. You see, the work of Christ is the only thing that shapes his church. It's the only thing that shapes the building, the body, the family, the bride. What makes much of Jesus to a world that is hurt ...and broken and sinful... ...and looking for hope... ...or at the very least considering hope. When we forget... ...to look backward at what Jesus has done... ...in order to move forward... ...that's what leads to quotes... ...like, I like your Christ... ...but not your Christianity. That leads to quotes like... ...I don't think that I have anything good... ...to say about the church. It's what leads... To podcasts that make it into the top three on Apple podcasts. And if you're here and you find yourself in that spot. If you're here and you find yourself in the spot where you're like, I kind of like Jesus, but I'm not sure about the church. If you're here and you're in the spot and you're saying, yeah, I've actually been really wounded and I've been really hurt by the church. So, so I'm not I, I'm not sure what to think of that. That what you're talking about as as, as being the, 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 the building and the body and the family and the bride, that's not actually kind of been my experience. If you're here this morning and you think, well, the church has to be bad because people are bad. And there's no way that it could be good. All that's valid. All of it's valid. I don't want to be dismissive of any of that. But I do want to gently push on what what I perceive to be a growing posture of suspicion and skepticism that I'm not sure actually moves us in any healthier of a direction. And so I would would pose a few questions for you this morning. Are you comfortable with always being suspicious and skeptical? Does Does that actually feel freeing to you? Or... Do you feel more like it's an impossible weight to carry? Do you sleep better at night being skeptical of everyone and everything except those who might just agree with you all the time? Deep down, do you feel like you have no problems and no selfish tendencies and no selfish desires and self centered motives? If you really ask yourself those questions. You see the invitation of Jesus and his church. If that's you this morning. Is come on in. Come on in. Come, come with suspicion. Come with questions. Please come. Maybe you will find a place that doesn't snub you but loves you. Maybe you will find a place that's willing to engage Genuinely. Are you open to genuine engagement and being okay that someone might disagree with you and love you at the same time? Are you open to that? Are you open to considering that? Are you willing to open yourself up to the possibility of of growing and movement? Or or are you satisfied where you are? And honestly, my guess is, is if you're here this morning, you're not. You're not satisfied with being there. Come on in. Bring your questions. Let's talk about that. I would love to do that with you. Any of the pastors here would love to do that with you. If you're here this morning and you're saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be the very things that the Bible is saying that the church is supposed to be and is. Well, so what? What? you got to go backward to move forward. Your identity is rooted in the historical reality of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And here's what that means. That means that the best thing that has or will ever happen to you has happened in your past. It's happened behind you. It's what Jesus has done. That's ...what gives you your identity. That is who you are. You are those who belong to Jesus. We are those who belong to Jesus. And in order to go forward, we must always be looking back at the cross and the empty tomb. And here's what some of that looks like. Here's what one pastor has had to say. That this is what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to be a people who are embodying the disposition of Jesus. Who is the founder of our faith. And embodying humility... Grace and hope. Humility, not thinking of ourselves better than anybody else. Grace, recognizing that all that we have is gift. Everything that we have is a gift from God. And hope, that is, that there is a better day that is coming. There is a better day that is coming. This pastor went on to say this. Humility is the antidote to discords that too often stubbornly is convinced of its own position and resistant to change. Humility allows us to admit that we are part of the problem and opens up dialogue where listening becomes more important than speaking. That's what's supposed to be growing in us. This is what he has to say about grace. He says, grace is the antidote to the discourse that demonizes and confers the status of enemy on those with whom we disagree. Grace liberates us from the need to be right and it liberates us from the need to feel superior and therefore creates love and generosity towards those with whom we disagree. That's what we're supposed to be growing in, church, and hope. Hope is the antidote to discourse rooted in the nostalgic longing for some past era. That nostalgia can devolve into fear and cynicism about the life in which we are involved, but hope allows us to envision a world where one day swords will be beaten down into plowshares, And justice and righteousness will flow like a river forever. That's what we're supposed to be growing in. That's what it looks like for us to continually be looking backward in order to move forward. That we would be a people of humility, of grace, of hope. And ultimately what this is, this is embodying exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the young Pastor Timothy at the end of Paul's life when he knew that he was about to die. And he's writing this letter to this young pastor to encourage him. And he says, I have received the most grace, the most grace, because I am the chief of sinners. At the end of the apostle Paul's life, he referred to himself as the chief of sinners whom Jesus came into the world to save. That is what we are supposed to be embodying those who are following Jesus. And if you're here and you're searching this morning, search for a church with that recognition. Search for a gathering, a community, a body of people that have that recognition at the forefront of its priorities. We won't be perfect. Nothing is except for Jesus. And neither are you. You aren't either. So search for people who are willing to say, I'm not perfect. A people who are making much of the fact that Jesus is the one who is perfect. That Jesus is the one who has given his life for us. That it's his humility. That it's his grace. That it's his hope that defines us. And how tightly he clings to his church to his building, to his body, to his family, to his bride. For all of us, never forget, like Paul, we're the chief of sinners. The way forward is always backward to a cross and to an empty tomb. It's always, always, always back to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we Thank you that out of your love for us, you sent your one and only Son to die for us, to lay down his life for us, to become our sin for us, and in exchange for that, to give us his perfect, righteous life and to give us the gift of life and life abundantly, as our Savior says. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work into us to take in what Jesus has done more deeply in our lives, that you would work in us to be a people of humility, of grace, of hope, a people who are always looking backward in order to move forward. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.